0: Good
1: afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you?
0: I'm doing good.
1: Did you have a good weekend?
0: I did. I did a lot of napping this weekend and did a little clothes shopping, which is always fabulous for me. Your weekend, I think, though, was more exciting because you got to go to a con. That's right.
1: We went to a comic book event. The weather was beautiful outside, so of course we spent all day inside. Looking at comic books and playing video games. Well, stuff.
0: you know that's just the geek way. Sometimes <laughs> well, there's there's plenty of spring left. It'll be fine. Oh
1: yeah, no, it. You know, and it was it was such a great event. I'm, I'm talking about um Imagicon up here in Minot, and there's I mean there's these little conventions that spring up all over the region. And they're, they're cool as heck. I, I met a lot of people. I, I met a lot of readers and listeners and it's, it's not unusual when I'm out and about to run into people who read the blog or listen to the radio show or read my columns or whatever. And it's always, it's always fun to talk to those people. Um, especially cause people are so much nicer. I, you know, A lot of the feedback you get when you do this sort of thing for a living. Most of the people you hear back from online when you're getting emails or you're getting phone calls or whatever, uh, a lot of it's negative. Um, when you meet people face-to-face, it's pretty nice because even the people who disagree with you, like, you know, I don't really agree with what you lot to say, but I, I'm glad you're doing it. I enjoy reading your columns anyway. That's the sort of stuff you get. It's so nice. But I don't know. At, at the at the convention, that must be, like, my demographic or something because I was walking around there, and it must have been a dozen people stopped me. Like, are you Rob Oh, I read your columns. I love them. They're great. Every, you know. It was awesome. I, it was really. I mean, that wasn't the most. I'm. I'm letting my ego run away with me here. That was cool. It was. It was fun meeting a lot of people on the blog. And I guess I was kind of surprised that that event would be a place that would bring out a lot of my readers. Although maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. I shouldn't be surprised. Maybe that that's my demographic. But it seemed. It is. <laughs> I guess. A, a blogging probably skews towards tech savvy or tech savvy people. It absolutely. Right?
0: It absolutely does.
1: And that's you know that's probably a you know pretty big overlap with that crowd, but no, it was fun. Um, you know, uh, Harley and Layla did Harry Potter trivia. Uh, they had um, this really cool thing. It was called uh, Jellybean Street, where the kids do like art, like they have like a like a sort of a guided art class, and the kids are you know slapping finger paint. Cooper was having a blast. He got paint all over the place, was slopping it around. Then he'd throw his hands up in the air and say, "Wow, it was." It was the cutest thing ever. Um, Jelly Bean Street, I guess, is the name of it. It's really cool, and they they like turn your kids' artwork into like canvas art that you could like hang on your wall. Like they kind of oh, dress really it up a little neat. bit. Yeah, it was really cool. Really cool all the way around. Great event. So glad we went. the The 1960s Batmobile was there. That was cool. Um, you know, and there's all sorts of cool. You know, people are selling toys and. First-run comic books. Uh, there was a, a video game designer there who had made a, a racing game. He had developed it, and he had a he had a herd of kids, including my nine-year-old, who were playing it all weekend. So it was a blast. If, if you get out, if you get a chance to participate in that culture, you know, and if you like, I mean, you, you don't have to be like a hardcore Dungeons & Dragons gamer. I mean, if you like playing board games, if you like Game of Thrones, you liked the Harry Potter books or something, man, There's there's space for you out there. It was it was fun, it was a blast. We had a good time, you know.
0: That's so great to hear, especially because it was a, a local con, and I don't think that local cons get the the recognition yeah. that they deserve. Because you hear about you know the big conventions, Comic Con out in California, Comic Con in New York, um, Gen Con in Indianapolis. If you're big into board games and tabletop RPGs, PAX East, PAX West, those are the the big ones. Sure, but local cons do a lot of work and support their local geek communities with everything they have. And so if, if you're part of that culture, go support your local conventions because they are they want to make the experience in your city the best it can be for you. And it was
1: the really fun. I mean, they had areas set up where you could just come and lay out a magic game, wait for a challenger, right? You could come and just lay out a board game, right? I mean, if Settlers of Catan your thing, set it up. So people show up, play a game, you know. I mean, it was it was fun. It's, it was a cool thing. So we did that. That was our weekend, and it was an absolute blast, and already can't wait for next year. 701-293-9000, 888 9329 Lots of stuff we're going to talk about. Breaking news. I just saw this press release just dropped in my inbox. Uh, Senator John Hoven saying the state of North Dakota is going to get 15 million in federal funds to help pay for the Dakota Access Pipeline response now that doesn't cover the state's full nut on those expenses because through february and and maybe it's gone up since then but the last numbers i could find quickly before the show was was through february those expenses had gone as high as 33 million uh so 15 million from the feds is less than half of that i guess it's it's not nothing um i know the legislature and i haven't read the actual text of the bill but i know the legislature uh did pass a bill urging Attorney General Wayne Stengem to explore legal options for recouping some of that. I don't know what all that would entail, but anyway, $15 million is not nothing, I guess, so that takes some of the burden off the taxpayers for that, so that's pretty interesting. Um, also, I, I want to talk a, a little bit, I, I have not been shy about talking about some of the the opportunity that North Dakota Democrats have in the upcoming election cycle 2018 to make up some ground against Republicans in North Dakota because I think it's absolutely true that Republicans did not do a good job of managing the budget. They spent too much money. They built that revenue increase, or the, excuse me, that's those spending increases on revenues from an oil boom that was never going to last forever. And Republicans don't have anybody to blame for that but themselves. But I am reading like the press releases and the messaging that, that North Dakota Democrats are putting out about it. And I'll be damned if they're not going to squander the opportunity, I think, you know, I mean, they may pick up a few seats, but, but I mean, listen, pointing out that Republicans could have done a better job is just half of the battle. Democrats have to then continue on and say, we would have done a better job. And that's where they're running aground because they keep repeating stuff. For instance, this, this, lie about oil taxes, right? And I'm I'm reading a press release that just came out from House Minority Leader Corey Mock, who, by the way, I have been trying to book for an interview on this show since last week, and he's been ignoring my emails and phone calls and texts and social media messages, not responding to me at all. But he's out there saying that we cut the oil extraction tax, and that contributed to one-third of the budget shortfall. How can that be true when the changes made to the oil extraction tax increased the revenues the state has collected by almost $600 million. How can that be true? We'll talk about it more right after the break. 701 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. I Oklahoma, in a just Email talk at WDAY.com. WDAY. Call in 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. So we uh, got an emailer here. Um, Talking about and, and in the last segment, I annou- I uh, Senator John Hoven, uh had announced that in the federal spending bill, there's 15 million dollars to uh, reimburse the state of North Dakota for the Dakota Access protests. Um, emailer says uh, 15 million dollars from the feds that will make it easier for Standing Rock. They now only owe the taxpayers 18 million for the actions of their invited guests. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that you're ever going to get anything out of. I don't know that you're ever going to get anything out of the out of the tribe for that. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, another emailer says, "Did you say Rob Dakota Access Pipeline cost North Dakota 32 million for police action to clean up? Uh, that's where an investigation should be. How much price gouging was in what did the police make an hour? Uh, seems really extreme. Uh, the the figure that that I noted was $33 million. And if you think about it, it wasn't extreme at all. I mean, a lot of it was overtime for the cops, and that was because North Dakota law enforcement was stretched so thin. Uh, There were far more duty hours that had to be worked by North Dakota law enforcement than we've really had officers for. So a lot of officers in our state had to work overtime. So that's part of the expense. Another big chunk of the expense is the fact that we had to call for help from other states, and they sent their law enforcement here, and the state of North Dakota is on the hook for reimbursing them. Uh, So, you know, uh, officers from Wyoming and Ohio and all sorts of different places came to North Dakota to help us out, uh, as is right, and we owe them. I mean, when you think about it, this lasted months and months and months with hundreds and hundreds of cops involved. 33 million really isn't that big of a number in that context. But I agree with Governor Doug Burgum, who on this program back in February, said that he felt North Dakota taxpayers should have to pay $0 of that. I agree with him. Now, Senator Hovind is saying that the state is getting $15 uh, and that's less than half. I guess at least it's something, but I wouldn't let that deter us. I I think we ought to keep pushing uh, to get more. So anyway, that's where that's at. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Okay, talking about the legislative session. You know, I I think it's absolutely true, and Democrats have a lot of points that they can score against Republicans when it comes to handling the budget. They can absolutely hit Republicans for spending too much. You know, and and, and the argument from Republicans is, well, it wasn't like Democrats were calling – you know, back during, uh, you know, the oil boom days, the Democrats were saying, hey, pump the brakes on all this spending. No, if if anything, if you go back, the Democrats were asking for Republicans to spend even more money. That was one of their big criticisms back in the day was we weren't spending more money. But that still doesn't change the fact that Democrats weren't in charge, right? I mean, Republicans could play the the woulda, shoulda, coulda game, but the people who had the supermajority in the legislature as well as the governorship were the Republicans, the budgets are Republican budgets. Republicans own them. There's no question about it. The problem Democrats have is that the way they're talking about this, it's it's as if they're, they're fealty to certain left-wing progressive dogmas is more important than the facts on the ground because all they want to talk about are corporate tax cuts and tax cuts for the oil industry. And and the corporate tax cuts thing is interesting because – I mean, I I think we can all agree we want North Dakota's economy to diversify. We want to quit being so dependent on agriculture and energy. Those are great industries. Don't get me wrong. But I think everybody knows we'd like to make a bigger pie in North Dakota so it's not just energy and just agriculture, but it's those things plus a lot of other stuff too so that when commodity prices go up and down, we're not so vulnerable. But you know what? How do you achieve that goal if we're keeping corporate tax rates high? Also, how much of the lost revenues from corporate taxes – is a result of corporations just leaving the state, businesses folding up after the oil boom. We had less commerce. We had less business going on in the state. Of course, those revenues went down. Now, the tax cuts helped those revenues go down, but the latter was more important than the former, I believe. So Democrats aren't talking about that, but the big one, and you hear them repeating this ad nauseum. I mean, you're hearing Democrats start to say, well, property tax increases are going to go up because the Republicans gave a tax cut to big oil. And now we have House Minority Leader Corey Mock, who I would love to get on this program, Corey. Check your email. Love to have you on to talk about this. But they just put out a press release today, and this is what Mock says, I quote. At the beginning of the legislative session, lawmakers from both parties confronted a budget shortfall of $1.5 billion. This shortfall was in part the result of low commodity prices and a sagging economy. But it was also the result of excessive spending over the last several sessions and ill-advised tax cuts that sacrificed most of, much of North Dakota's revenue to benefit corporations and oil companies. In fact, the cost of the corporate income tax and oil extraction tax cuts passed by the Republican majority amounted to one-third of the budget shortfall we faced. That is a remarkable statement because the reality, setting aside the corporate tax cut issue for a moment, the oil extraction tax, the reality of that is the changes made by the legislature in 2015 have resulted in almost $600 million in additional revenue through February, according to office, uh, numbers from the Office of the State Tax Commissioner. Now, here's what Mock said again. I quote, The cost of the corporate income tax cuts and oil extraction cut tax cuts passed by the Republican majority amounted to one-third of the budget shortfall we faced. How can you call it a tax, an oil extraction tax cut, when the change in that policy resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in additional revenue? How can you do that? How can you say that it contributed to the budget shortfall that lawmakers just got done addressing during the legislative session? How can you say it, 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 it contributed to a budget shortfall when the changes in policies resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in additional revenue. How can we do that? Yeah, You can't. Unless you're lying. Which is what mock is doing. He is lying. The Democrats who say that we cut oil taxes are lying. Now they'll say, well, the top rate came down. And yeah, the top rate did come down. But we also did away with a massive, massive exemption. And the result of those two changes to the policy was a net increase in tax burdens. That is not a tax cut. That is a tax hike, a very large one that did not contribute to the budget shortfall. If anything, it made more revenue available to address that shortfall. And I'm going to call this out every time Democrats lie about it. More to come straight ahead on The Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. Yeah. Welcome back. Rob Reporter on 970 WDAY, 701 9329 Those are your call-in numbers. You can email me as well. Talk at WDAY.com. We got Scott waiting on the line. Go ahead, Scott. What's up? Yeah, Rob. See, so, you know, I keep hearing this from one of the other uh, talk shows. It was on the uh, sorry to say the Chris Berg um, POV show, and you know, he was talking to the the, the spokesman from the the pipeline from the the because uh, that's the ultimate customers that, that, who the law enforcement was working for was the the pipeline people. I don't and know. Said, I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. The the, the pipeline company, the pipeline company had a right to build their pipeline. It is law enforcement's duty to stop people from trespassing and things like that. So the, the pipeline was lawful industry. Law enforcement protected the pipeline project in the same way. I would hope that they would protect any landowner or any business owner from a group of violent thugs who want to do illegal things to their equipment or their workers or whatever. They were saying send them the bill. Yeah, but, so but the spokesperson said he said, go ahead and
0: send us the bill, we'll take care of it. So I mean I yeah. don't anybody talking about
1: it. Yeah, so here's here's the problem I have with that. I, I, I wish I wish they weren't because I actually had the CEO of Energy Transfer Partners, Kelsey Warren, on this program, and he made that offer okay. then as well. Sure. And I don't I don't like that they're making that offer, and here's why. I don't think that companies should have to pay the law enforcement bill because a bunch of protesters showed up and did illegal things. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't think if you know, and and I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're trying to build a hog farm. I don't care if you're trying to build a highway. I don't care if you're trying to build a sports stadium. If you're doing everything legally, you're getting your permits, you're getting your permissions, you're following the court's orders, all that stuff. And a bunch of people are showing up and they're setting things on fire and blocking highways and trespassing and doing all the things the pipeline protesters did. Why should you have to pay for it? And and why would we want to create a precedent whereby the company trying to build those things? Because I tell you what, if they start doing that. People are going to just say, "Oh, well, it's just a cost of doing business." You're just going to have to pay right. for these violent thugs to show up and set things on fire, and and you're responsible for paying for all of that because, right. you know, that that was a thing that that a lot of people also didn't talk about. We talk about the 33 million dollars through February in expenses to the state of North Dakota. What we don't talk about are what was the cost of the bulldozers and excavators and everything set on fire. For the workers, what was the cost to the company uh, of all the additional security they had to have on hand so that their workers didn't get attacked? What were those costs? You know, why should the company have to? And yeah, I mean, I that's very nice of them to offer to pay the bill. But North Dakota shouldn't take them up on it, first of all, because it's not their fault. They shouldn't have to pay for it. They were trying to do something that's legal, which is build infrastructure. And number two, the last thing we need to do is is to create the perception That, you know, the state of North Dakota was working for for the oil companies, you know, and and that's another problem. I I get a little I'm not even sure, honestly, that it's legal under state law uh, for somebody to, to, to directly pay for law enforcement's costs like that. To me, that that would create a perception that the cops are working for the oil industry when really they weren't. The cops were there to try to maintain law and order. We all have property rights. You know, we all have the right not to be harassed or whatever. The cops weren't there taking a side. I I, I think allowing the oil company to pay those expenses perpetuates the unfortunate perception that the cops were taking a side and the cops weren't taking a side. The cops are there to enforce the law.
0: Right. Okay. cool.
1: Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Thanks for the call, Scott. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea. Did that make sense to you, Natil? I don't like the idea of telling. And by the way, the reason we're talking about this is Senator John Hoven uh, sent out a press release this afternoon saying that the feds are going to kick in $15 million uh, to, to the state's um, protest response, which I think is was is is right I think the feds ought to pay the whole tab like Governor Doug Burgum said on this program back in February. Uh, I I think the feds ought to pay the whole cost because what we're dealing with, I mean, those illegal protest camps were on U.S. Army Corps of Engineer land. We're dealing with a protest that was, you know, created, sparked by a federally recognized Native American tribe. We're talking about a holdup delays to the pipeline project created by. The federal government, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, when the Obama administration stepped up and, and started playing games with the that last permit they needed to, to cross the Lake Oahu reservoir, uh, you know the feds really created that problem. I think the feds ought to pick up the whole tab, but I don't know how you feel on the teal but I don't think the oil industry should have to pick up any of it.
0: I don't want the oil industry to pick up any of it. Um, right. Not only do I think that they they shouldn't have to, but I don't I don't want that to go anywhere near them simply because. On top of everything that you've already mentioned, it has the, I would say, unfortunate side effect of potentially endearing North Dakota voters more toward the oil industry than, say, the Native American tribe. Who we have to, you know, who we that's, will continue yeah. to be neighbors with, and continue to exist with as citizens of North Dakota. No, I don't.
1: I don't. I don't think the oil industry is trying to do that. I, I don't, don't think I don't they're think, trying to buy yeah, anybody no, off. I don't think I, they're
0: I, trying to do that. But I think that that's an right. unfortunate side effect of what would actually it happen. It creates
1: a perception that all of a sudden law enforcement's taking sides with whoever's paying the bill, and not right? even,
0: and not even that law enforcement is taking sides, but that the oil industry cares more about the taxpayers of North Dakota than the federal government, or the Native American tribes. Yeah. And, and I don't think that any of that is true, but I think that's the perception that would result if energy transfer partners took on that bill.
1: Because at the end of the day, the pipe, I mean, and listen, I get it. Some people, they hate oil production. They hate oil pipelines. They hate oil companies. They just have a philosophical or ideological opposition to them, and that's fine. You can have that all day. But at the end of the day, the law allowed that pipeline to be built, right? They went through the regulatory process. They checked all the boxes. They did what they needed to do. They satisfied everything. And that was signed off on by multiple levels of of the federal judiciary, right? I mean, it was multiple lawsuits filed. They were not successful because multiple judges, including some appointed by President Obama, reviewed the situation and didn't find any legal problems. Okay. So they were allowed under the law to build this pipeline. Now what the protesters were not allowed to do was to block highway 1806 or block highway six or trespass on privately owned land and set up camps or light bulldozers on fire. You can't do those things. Right. And and, and you shouldn't have as a private company trying to engage in legal industry You shouldn't have to pay the law enforcement expenses incurred by a bunch of extremist yahoos lighting your equipment on fire. You should not have to pay for that, right? The taxpayer shouldn't have to pay for it either, but yet that's, we pay for law enforcement. That's just, that's part of of the overhead of governance in a, in a, in the society that we all want to live in. That's part of the overhead. That's part of the, the cost. So, you know. I agree that the Fed should be paying for it. I don't think that the private industry that wasn't breaking the law should have to pay for it. That's that's my two cents. And and to me, that's, that's the biggie. And then also, you know, I want to create – I, I want to protect the integrity of law enforcement uh, and, and don't want to create a perception that they're working for the oil industry and the oil industry, you know, picked up their costs. I don't want that either. So I, I'm glad the Feds are kicking some in. I hope we get more. I got to Senator Hovind's press release up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to read that. More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at wday.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Here
0: comes China singing only.
1: Welcome back. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888 So something else I had on the blog, obviously, um, the believe it or not, the 2018 election cycle has already begun. And, and this is this is early, even by the standards of someone like me who makes their living from writing about politics. This is early, and, and I think it's a product of Democrats being very, very worried about Senator Heidi Heitkamp getting reelected. I think they know she's vulnerable, and I think they're looking to get ahead of the curb by making their candidate look strong, which she is in some ways. She did put up a big fundraising number in the first quarter of this year, albeit most of the money was from out-of-state and from special interest groups. But whatever, it's a lot of money in her campaign coffers, and she's polling well. Uh, I think I think that morning consult poll, uh, which ran through the end of last year, I had her at sixty percent approval. So there you go. she's doing she's doing okay. Um, but they're worried about her, which I think is why they're already out attacking Kevin Kramer and doing some of this other stuff. One of the people who are is possibly going to challenge her, is State Representative Rick Becker. He is a Republican from Bismarck. You may remember him. He ran for the Republican gubernatorial nomination in 2016. Uh, he lost at the convention uh, to Attorney General Wayne Stenjum uh, and didn't proceed to the primary, unlike uh, Doug Bergum, who obviously that was a smart move on his part. He won. Um, Becker made a pretty pretty solid showing, though, at, at, at the Republican convention. But... As the legislative session ended last week, I had a lot of people telling me, hey, Becker's not here. Becker missed the last day of the session. Uh, And the rumor was that he was off in Washington, D.C., having meetings about a potential 2018 race. And I got in touch with him this morning. uh, And that's, yeah, he confirmed. That's exactly what happened. He was out in Washington, D.C., having meetings uh, with, I guess, you know, the various groups or fundraisers or whatever that can help you win a, a race. And um, yeah, that's what he was doing. Missed the last day of the session. And I, I don't know, Natiel, but I'm I'm not sure that's a real good look for somebody who wants to move up the political ladder. You know, I, I kind of feel like like one thing that could get you in trouble if you want to campaign for a promotion is you don't want to look like you're not taking your current job seriously. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that that totally makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. So and and listen, I mean, Becker Becker provided some context. He said this was the only day of the 2017 legislative session he missed. He says it's only the second day he's missed in the last three legislative sessions, which I, I believe that's as long as he's been in office. So, you know, his entire time as a state lawmaker, he's missed two days. He was sick one day, I think, during the 2013 session, and he missed the last day of this session um but I'll tell you I I mean if that if that I mean that could be a, something that that hurt you I remember when uh, during the 2014 election cycle states you know then state senator George Sinner democrat from Fargo uh hit congressman Kevin Kramer who at the time was running for uh, a reelection to a, a second term you know, Sinner hit hit Kramer on on missing some votes in Washington D.C., which is fine. That's fair game. But I I found out that Sinner actually had missed the last like two days of the 2013 legislative session, uh, which I, I think everybody remembers. That was the session that went right down to the wire, right? I mean, it, they went, they ended up going super super late, um, and he missed the last two days and missed a lot of important votes on some pretty pretty important bills. Uh, And and it turned out he was out on a a family vacation. Now, it backfired. That attack on Kramer backfired. Sinner ended up getting less than 39% of the statewide vote. And in the 2016 election, he ended up losing his Senate seat as well. And I don't know that that's all because he skipped the last two days of the 2013 legislative session. But I do think it's dangerous to make it to look like if if you, again if, if you want to campaign for a promotion, it's not it's not a good look to look like you're not taking your current job that seriously. You know, and, and, and again, let's talk about Rick Berg in two thousand twelve, right? Berg gets elected to the United States Congress in two thousand ten, beating ten term incumbent Earl Pomeroy, and then Immediately, as that term is coming to a close, begins a campaign in two thousand twelve the two thousand twelve cycle for the United States Senate. Now, I think a big part of what held Rick Berg back, and by the way, that was something else I wrote about on the blog next week is berg is is he's not ruling out a a run for federal office in twenty eighteen, not sure if it's the Senate or the House, but anyway, back to two thousand and twelve, I think part of what held Berg back is that he looked like he was trying to move up a little too fast, right? I I, I think I heard from a lot of people who were saying he just got elected to the House. Why does he want to move up to the Senate so quickly? Why does he not care about the job we elected him to do in the House? I think those feelings hurt Berg. And I think it might be fair to say it cost him the election when you look at the fact that he lost by less than 1% of the vote. That's a tough thing. Um, you know, so again, i I'm not a good look And listen, I say this. I like Rick Becker a lot as a libertarian leading conservative. You know, he rings the bell for me on on a lot of the right issues. I like Becker a lot. I think he's a conscientious guy. I think he cares very deeply about the pop, the policymaking process. I think he cares very deeply about public service. But skipping out on the last day of the session to go to D.C., not good. And, and I get it. I mean, he expected the session to be done earlier, right? I mean, we all did. I mean, they had set a, a, a goal for themselves to be done on day 70. They blew by that. They set a goal for themselves to be done on day 74. They blew by that. They ended up going all the way to day 77. And he didn't want to, I guess he didn't want to reschedule his trip. But I don't know. I mean, that. Desire not to to reschedule the trip is sort of the crux of the problem. It kind of makes it look like you're prioritizing your 2018 ambitions above the 27th doing the job in 2017 that you're elected to do. So, bad move, Representative Becker. Don't do that. That's going to hurt you. That's the sort of thing that's going to hold you back. You need to care about the job you're doing, and you need to care about it more than your ambitions for the next job you want you get the next job you want by doing the job you've got well it's skipping out on the last day of the session is is not a way to do it well and and that last day is important because a lot of stuff can change on that last day now it went ended up going pretty straightforward but you never know somebody can drop some oddball amendment at the last minute stuff can happen should have been there Hey, Jay Thomas show coming up next. I'll be sticking around as I usually do Mondays to shoot the breeze with Jay. So stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday right here on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at North Dakota's most popular political blog, sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.